every jeweler in America says the same thing this time of year. I hate Steven Singer. Don't take my word for it. Go to IHateStevenSinger.com and see why they hate him. It's because he's taken the guesswork out of Valentine's Day. In fact, you can get the best Valentine's Day gift ever right now at IHateStevenSinger.com. What is it? How about this? A real long stem American Beauty Rose deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold. It's going to last forever. Where else can you get something this special, this unique that lasts forever for just 59 bucks? It even comes with your own personalized love note, all in a signature gift box shipped for free from IHateStevenSinger.com. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. I love you. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm excited. Man, I'm, I, excited. I, I'm excited. How the hell are you? I'm excited, too, and I know why you're excited. This is a show that you and I have been looking forward to for a long time. It's rare that you and I actually agree on something, but that's actually going to happen today. Our subject today, Royal Rumble 1990, one of our very favorite shows for different reasons. Man, this was when I'm at the peak of my fandom as a kid. I'm eight years old watching this, and it is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And you're front and center on this show, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera. Royal Rumble 1990 was special and I I can't encourage all of our listeners enough to go out of their way to watch this episode. Uh, you and I fired this up on the WWE network, watched it for the first time in a long time, really a special show. Yeah, it absolutely is. And for some reason in my head, because next week we're doing 95. So in my head, I'm all prepared for 95. There's a lot like all around 95, you know, just, uh, not necessarily even the show as much. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm thinking, and I, I have the WWE network playing in my office, uh, 24 seven, cause it's available 24 seven. And I fired up the old Royal rumble, 1990 and found myself just watching it and going, Holy shit. Uh, what a fucking show It's yeah. excellent. I loved it, man. It's at the, the peak of my fandom as a kid and man, so much good stuff around this one. If you haven't already, we're going to encourage you to watch this show. January 21st, 1990, it went down in Orlando, 16,000 folks. Of course, it's a sellout a gate of 170,000 bucks are on our way to WrestleMania six and everything has really started to come together by the end of the night here at the Royal rumble. Speaking of that. 
Dave Meltzer would report the biggest news of the week is that is a virtual lock that the main event of WrestleMania six, which will be April 1st from the sky dome in Toronto will be Hulk Hogan versus the anabolic warrior. I suspect a small, you know, that's coming from a little midget that's so jacked up unnaturally. It's pathetic. Well, that feels like an allegation. Let's keep it moving. Well, no, that is that not what he does? I didn't say an allegation of uh, allegate him of anything. I'm just saying that for someone to make those accusations, it's just, it's just bullshit. Fuck him. We're already starting off. Fuck him. I thought we were going to be in a good mood today. I'm in a great mood today. Meltzer says, I suspect a small angle will be shot at the Royal rumble on the 21st. If not, the first angle will air on the following Saturday night's main event. It started in the Saturday night's main event taped main event on January 3rd in Chattanooga as warrior and Hogan were headlining against Mr. Perfect and the genius. Stage one of the breakup occurred just after the finish of the match with Hogan pinning genius with the leg drop. The only reports I've heard were third hand and sketchy, but apparently Hogan was outside the ring while the heels were doubling on warrior Warrior made his own comeback and was clotheslining all the heels all over the place, bumping around like ping pong balls. And as Hogan climbed back into the ring, warrior was coming off the ropes and clotheslined him quote unquote by accident. This two guys start shoving one another. And before any blows are thrown. Two make up, shake hands, and pose together. Unless this is a red herring, it seems that this will be phase one of the major angle with the key phase to air on the NBC special on February 23rd. So you guys are, are clearly setting the stage here for Warrior. We even see glimpses of that in the main event here of Royal Rumble 1990. When did you know WrestleMania 6 were going with Warrior? Yeah, probably around Survivor Series, maybe, you know, yeah, maybe even even SummerSlam, but deadlocked in, kind of locked in. This is where we're going around Survivor Series because that that was the biggest thing. Warrior was on fire. And probably, you know, Savage, look, Savage had a hell of a run as the champion, and, and Randy was the top guy for a long time when Hogan was gone. But even Randy had been there for a while and hadn't caught on the way that Ultimate Warrior did at this time. I mean, Warrior was just electric, and people wanted him. They wanted more. Let's talk about the other possibilities. You know, it's been reported a lot in the Observer back then, and even the Torch. They were sort of freestyling that Zeus could have been an opponent for Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania, and given the success of the movie and, and the hype around the pay-per-view and, and obviously the success of SummerSlam, maybe that could have been a thought. You would also think that a rematch from WrestleMania five, which had all kinds of records, maybe that could work. Why deviate? If it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But then I also wonder, was it ever considered since the macho man was a very well-established heel and he had drawn great money against Hogan at WrestleMania five. If everybody's really gung ho on the warrior, was it ever considered that maybe it should be a babyface warrior against a heel macho man at WrestleMania five? Or at that point, did you just feel like Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania were synonymous? Well, Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania are definitely synonymous. And the Zeus thing that, that was out the window as soon as we tried to get Zeus to step, <laughs> walk up the steps to get into the ring and all bets were off there. But, you know, other than casual conversation of, whole, you know, what if Zeus was never a serious contender and Vince wasn't big on rematches. So as you, you look at attractions and that's how you have to look at it for 
an event like WrestleMania. You got to look, what's the attraction? Not what, what's going to be the 18 star match or bullshit like that. You look at what do people want to see and also pick them. If you can't pick it, then that to me makes a really good attraction as well, where you go, they can't do this, but then again, they can't do that. And then you start running all these different scenarios through your head. And to me, that's the ideal attraction. Well, ultimately we know you guys are going to pull the trigger on it. You can find out more about WrestleMania six in the archives. If you haven't already go subscribe on YouTube, you can see lots of little clips there from that show or the actual long show. Uh, just look us up on uh, YouTube, but I do want to ask, you know, the two baby face, uh, a baby face champ versus a baby face champ. It's a bit of an experiment. One that it doesn't feel like Vince has a lot of confidence in because he doesn't go right back to it. Do you think that maybe in hindsight, wasn't the right call? I think at the time it was definitely the right call. Um, and by the way, I was against it at the time, uh, because there was doubt from those within the industry that had been around warrior that just didn't like him, didn't like his attitude and didn't care for him too much because there were people that felt that he didn't have a respect for the business and he was just in it for the money and, and what have you. Now, business wise, you want to look at who's going to draw the most money and who out of your roster is going to make the most impact. And when you do it that way and you have to look at it objectively, Warrior was the guy and Warrior was everything that he was, man, he was getting up there. He was popular and the audience fucking wanted him. So the babyface, uh, babyface thing, that's something that I don't think we've done, you know, really since per se, but nothing to this level. And it, and it had never been done, especially with Hogan. One of the things I've wanted to know, you know, specifically when you think about these two pieces of talent, was any other version considered in terms of babyface heel? Dave would even speculate it's most likely that the end result of all this would be a warrior heel turn. The WWF booking is generally predictable and pattern, and this seems to be following the same pattern of the terms of or the turns of Paul Orndorff, Andre the Giant, and Randy Savage, all of which drew millions of dollars at the box office. But I've got this voice in the back of my head wondering about all this. Forget the Hogan retirement rumors because I don't buy them. But if Hogan wants out or to cut back on a schedule, the greatest thing Hogan could ever do for the WWF would be to put Warrior over clean before he disappears from the scene and to create a successor as close to him as would be possible. But even though that will probably never happen, Warrior is different from Savage, Andre, and Orndorff. Warrior is the first one who they've turned on Hogan that actually rivals Hogan in popularity. While Hogan is not in Warriors League as a drawing card, he's actually more popular with kids, which is Titans' prime audience. While a turn would work, and this match is going to draw more money than any event in history, it's in Titans' best interest to keep Warrior as a Superman face in the long run. So the idea is the classic WrestleMania main event, and for that matter, just wrestling storytelling for as long as we can remember, is good guys versus bad guys. And it feels like way out of the realm of possibility that you would take all the momentum and goodwill that Hulk Hogan has built over the last five or six years and just turn it on its ear and make him a heel here. Was it discussed preliminarily 
Warrior turning heel or Hogan turning heel? It was it was discussed, but dismissed pretty quickly too because you couldn't turn the the original thing is well you got to turn Warrior on Hulk and Hulk can't, Hulk can't be a heel my God, but then that same argument applied to Warrior. You couldn't have Warrior be a heel, and that was the norm. So let's do something different. Let's have Hulk, who was looking to take time off and get away from the business a little bit. And this was his opportunity to take some time off, take that summer off, go do your thing. And we'll have someone else new in there that can step right into those shoes. But what's better is if, you know, the Hulk sprinkles that Hulk dust on him and anoints him. So that was the feeling behind it, that Warrior defeating Hulk, that made him. That hadn't been done. So that was the thought behind it. It, it was discussed very briefly. How much convincing did it take for, for Hogan to buy in on this? Is this just a casual conversation, or is this something that you guys really have to work up towards? Because you don't want to sort of kill the golden goose here. Well, you know, all those conversations took place between Vince and Hulk. And I, I think that in the beginning that Hulk was Hulk real Hulk knew what had to happen. You know, Hulk knew that he needed to drop the championship in order for him to, to go away for a while. And Hulk wanted somebody to step up into that place, you know, probably more for anything to come back and slay that dragon, you know, and get that win back. Um, but I think that Hulk was the jury was still out on whether or not warrior was the guy to do that. And everybody had an opinion and it, it probably took a little bit of convincing to get Hulk fully on board for it to be warrior. But it does, when you pose the question to him, if not warrior, then who you come back and go, well, it's, it's warrior. Yeah. And when you look at that roster, uh, not just with this company, but across other companies, you really are sort of scratching your head. Like it's sort of slim pickings, but you and I have sort of freestyled, you know, the, what if of sting, man, that, that could have looked a lot different. We'll talk about that more another time. I'm sure Melzer would report lots of things going on at the start of the new year. The most interesting seems to involve Titan sports and its battle with the pay-per-view syndicators request TV and viewers choice. While the gist of this story has been gone into here in the past, the plot thickens due to the antics of the Titan pay-per-view event this past Wednesday night. And again, over the past weekend on syndication, Titan is acknowledging their problems since on the pay-per-view show during Hulk Hogan's interview, Gene Okerlund read a telegram that stated that several cable companies won't be carrying the Royal rumble and tied WrestleMania into the package as well. Several times during the pay-per-view match and also throughout the weekend syndicated shows, the announcers kept urging fans to call and write your cable company because quote, a few of the companies won't be carrying Royal rumble. And if they don't, they won't be carrying WrestleMania either. They even went so far as to have Jesse Ventura talk about how he fought to defend the country and how it's un-American for the cable companies to not allow the people, the freedom to buy the pay-per-view of their choice or words to that effect. Anyway, here's how things stand to the best of my knowledge for the Royal rumble. There are about 13 million homes with pay-per-view capacity right now of those only 5.5 million are served by companies in which they use either viewers choice or request TV where those companies own a percentage and therefore they will not be carrying the Royal rumble. 
According to Titan sources, about 4 million homes have cleared, which means that about three and a half million homes are served by companies that are on the fence. The fact that they haven't been cleared yet means that they would be behind in advertising the event, which means probably no one will be carrying it. A few thoughts on this issue beyond the hypocrisy of Titan using the term unconstitutional. And then he goes on a soapbox rant. Hypothetically, this is a gamble, you know, because you guys are from what I understand, you're wanting a bigger slice of the pie. Vince feels like he's helped really revolutionize the pay-per-view industry and he deserves to be paid a little more aggressively than he has been. So he's sort of drawing a line in the sand. And at this point, WrestleMania is well-established all the others, while they're not fledgling pay-per-views, they're not the brand WrestleMania. So it feels as if, Hey, if you don't give me more on all my stuff and carry Royal rumble that way, I'm not going to even let you have a piece of the WrestleMania action. Was Vince nervous about this gamble as he marched into the Royal rumble pay-per-view? Well, I think that this, you know, as crazy as this sounds and people will think it's, it's nuts, but if you know, Vince McMahon and you were there, um, and actually had the conversations, this is the germ of the network. And this is the first time that I had ever heard of, you know what, we'll have our own network. We'll, We'll have a, and I'm thinking in my head, well, God, you mean like USA network or TBS or something like that? Obviously, what it became is it became the streaming service that it is now. At the time, you know, we're thinking, well, shit, we'll distribute it ourselves. They'd done it before. Before there was pay-per-view, they did it closed circuit and extremely successful. But then from there, you look at the pay-per-view business. The WWF at the time was the single largest contributor to the pay-per-view industry mm-hmm. by far. And WrestleMania was the, the biggest uh, contributor to that for cable companies. I mean, just like WrestleMania made the guys payday and made their year in wrestling to a lot of the cable companies. It was the same way with WrestleMania. So, you know, they wanted to hold fast on, on what they were doing and it wasn't just Vince feeling that he had done this. We had done it. Right. <laughs> the WWE had revolutionized pay-per-view. They made pay-per-view a household name and taught people what pay-per-view was. With the exception of some obscure boxing events and some, you know. Uh, well, Mike Tyson was crushing it. Let's not pretend like he was. Mike, No, Mike Tyson was, but not at the level that WWF was, and they weren't doing it in the frequency that he was either. So Mike Tyson will have one or two fights. Yes, they did good numbers, but they weren't contributing the amount of money that the WWF was on a yearly basis. That not even close, but again, you look at the pay-per-view business. It was a few boxing matches a year. On top of that, it was movies, so you, you would go on, and, and it was, I think, even at the time that Viewer's Choice, they still had a lot of the, the adult movies and things like that, too, that was a big part of their business. Um, so we just, yeah, we wanted our fair share of the pie and felt that without us, that that would definitely devastate the 
pay-per-view business. And Vince was willing to take that risk to say, okay, if we go away, we build our own. What does that do to you? When they, they wanted to play hardball and everybody draw, drew lines in the sand and all that other good shit. But make no mistake about it that without WWF, the viewer's choice of the world, they wouldn't have had the, the type of business that they had without it. I'm not arguing any of that. The question was, was he nervous going into this? You know, that, Hey, you know, we've, we've sort of drawn a line in the sand and we've really gotten used and accustomed to having this pay-per-view revenue come in. Yes. We wish it would be more, but nervous, now, no. Okay. No nervous. No. If anything, it was, if this it's, if this happens, what are we going to do? How do we combat it? And how do we control our own destiny? So it, it wasn't like, oh my God, we lose uh, on-demand viewers' choice that our, our business is over. That that wasn't the case. It was a big part of what we were going to do, and we would like to have kept it that way. Let's keep it moving. I guess we should mention the pay-per-view that we were talking about where Gene got a telegram. That's uh no holds barred the match the movie. Uh, why have a regular Christmas, Bruce? Well, why have a regular Christmas and you can have a No holds barred Christmas. Shit, I about choked on that one. Eventually, of course, disaster is averted. Uh, Meltzer would say it wasn't exactly the 11th hour settlement, but it could be labeled a 10th hour when this past Thursday, Titan sports signed a seven year contract with viewers choice to enable VC to syndicate all of its pay-per-views through the end of 1996. The move was made just 10 days prior to the Royal rumble and should enable the rumble to be cleared for the vast majority of the 13 and a half million pay-per-view universe. This ends a highly publicized battle between the two firms, which had resulted in a limited pickup of the rumble. Both sides, of course, are claiming a victory here. I don't know why Titan would be since the end result of all this fighting is that they're in the same situation and locked into it for another seven years. Uh, and this of course is what they started to fight to avoid in the first place. Um, what do you remember about this deal coming together? Well, I think that there was some change in terms and different things. And I think we did get a bigger piece of the pie. So it wasn't just, okay, well, you win, we'll go for another length of time. It was just tying it up and getting a bigger percentage and knowing that they weren't going to come back and try and raise their percentage anymore and vice versa. So it was, it was kind of a win, win, lose, lose on both sides. Lock both, both guys up. Meltzer got deep in the numbers here. He says. Uh, in reality, Titan made the best correct decision or correct business decision here. And the only one, if the rumble does a 2% buy rate on Sunday, and if you figure the pay-per-view universe for the show at 12 million, you're talking about 240,000 orders at the $18 and 50 cents suggested price or about a $4.4 million gross Titan share of that would be 2 million and Titans estimated cost for doing survivor series was 1.35 million. So the show would do a decent profit. But without VC and let's say four and a half million dollar universe, the total gross would be 1.67 and Titan share would only be 830. So the show would have lost several hundred thousand dollars. And there is some concern within the cable industry that this deal was signed too late and it will negatively affect Sunday's buy rate. 
It may have a small effect, but my thoughts are it'd be very small. First off, every WWE fan knows about the card to begin with. It's been hyped heavily throughout their TV shows and the vast majority of orders always come in the last two days. So talk me through sort of the freestyling of the numbers here. You know, you were saying he wasn't really nervous. Do you think without this deal, you guys could have lost money on this show? I don't think we would have lost money. Wouldn't have made as much money because we wouldn't have had as many households having the availability of it. So, um, yeah, it's just not going to make as much. And you always want to have the opportunity to service as many as you possibly can. Were you involved in budget meetings at the time? Like God, no. Okay. Well, the reason <laughs> I ask is because when I see 1.3 is the cost for the show, that's gotta be including paying the talent and everything. Right. I mean, there's no way. How would the cost? Yeah. I don't know where the hell he arrives at that. Yeah, uh, that that's just I think he's just pulling numbers out of air and speculating and guessing like he does everything else. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, there's no speculating that uh, the warrior is going to be the guy at the end of the show. And, and it's set that that's the direction they're heading. And it's got to feel a little uncomfortable and uneasy. But man, the confidence has to wash over you when you see. The crowd reaction when that guitar hits, I mean, does it not? When Warriors theme song starts, the fans, kids, adults, it washes over the crowd. Does it not? First of all, the music itself was great. And the frenetic energy that Warrior brought to his entrance, it it was. It was magic. And the audience, it, it was like turning on jumper cables on the seats of everybody because as you said they'd all pop up and they'd all jump up and react in a positive way so yeah it was definitely working and that was something that they wanted to see and there was i don't know as much at this point where you know later on it it uh for example wrestlemania eight and nine where the audience was waning on hulk they weren't waning on Hulk yet here at all either. This was just a Hulk wanted time off. You know, shit can't last forever. Let's make a change and, and let's do something else. So um, give him the time off. Plus, the motherfucker was tan as shit. You, you got to go back and see this. I mean, when those when that theme song starts, the crowd just, they change. And that's the power. They explode. That's the power of the guitar. Have you always wanted to learn guitar? Well, here's an app that works around your schedule and lets you learn at your own pace. You see, this episode is brought to you by Fender play. Fender play is the complete online learning platform for guitar, bass, and ukulele with Fender play. You can play your first song in just minutes with short, easy to follow lessons taught by experienced instructors. What makes it different? Fender play features step-by-step song driven learning path tailored to your music taste and built around your schedule, all from your phone, tablet, or computer with a Fender play membership. You can master chords, songs, and techniques at your own pace with bite-sized lessons. You can watch anywhere, anytime, track your progress on the app. So you can pick up where you left off, share your success and get support from instructors inside of Fender's exclusive online community and get unlimited access to hundreds of lessons and features for an entire year, all for less than the average cost of just one traditional music lesson. And we have an incredible deal for our listeners right now. New members can try Fender Play for free for two weeks 
and save 50% off a Fender Play annual plan. But the only way to take advantage of this offer is by going to fender.com forward slash podcast. That's fender.com forward slash podcast. And be sure to use our special offer code wrestle at checkout. Now I want to clarify this offer is only available for a limited time and it ends this Monday, January 20th at midnight Pacific time. So act fast one more time, visit fender.com slash podcast and use our special offer code wrestle to try it for free. Save 50% and start learning today. And we thank Fender Play for sponsoring the podcast. We think, Bruce, you up to learn ukulele? Maybe a little. Nah, nah, yeah. Start but slapping I'm, the bass. You want to slap the bass a little bit? I might slap the bass a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've seen you slap it accidentally when I walked No, you have stage. not. I did. I didn't want to tell you, but. I uh, slapped the bass and stroked my chords behind closed doors only. All right. Check it out. Fender.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to use that promo code wrestle. Uh, something interesting happens, which is a bit of an about face about title switches, at least in this era, there's actually a title change right here in Huntsville, Alabama, December 13th, 1989. And it airs on television over the weekend where Andre and Haku beat demolition for the straps. And the interesting thing is that when Titan came back from a Christmas break on the 26th, Andre and Haku are wearing the belts that are announced as champion in all the house shows prior to the change airing on television. And this essentially goes against a longstanding WWF policy, which goes all the way back to the sixties where a title doesn't change hands until the match airs on television. And the reason for this change in policy was due to an inside company reaction to an article in the Detroit newspaper after Tully and Arn had dropped the straps, to demolition but a few weeks later, we're still quote unquote, defending them at the house shows. Do you remember this change? And, and, and is this accurate that once the Detroit paper picked it up, you guys did a bit of an about face. I, yeah, I don't remember Detroit paper specifically, but there was a feeling and it was starting, you know, 1990 man. And there were, as far as syndicate news getting out, it was, you had USA Today. You had different periodicals that you just didn't have your local news anymore. So things just were getting out. This is pre-internet. But at the same time, it was just thought, okay, we can tell people and explain it away that they won the championship so that you don't have to battle the that battle of, well, it doesn't take place till it happens on TV. And that was a, a formula that was practiced in every territory in the wrestling business. You know, in Tennessee, God, you'd go two weeks uh, until that title changed aired on TV. With you'd have to remember, okay, wait a minute, what TV has aired here? Am I still champion? Type shit. And that was that was the way it was. Mid South, just all the different areas, you were champion until you lost it on TV. It's interesting how that all changes with time. Here's something we haven't talked about before. I can't believe this has never been on the show, but I can't think of a time when we talked about it. Meltzer would report. There was a gag order placed on the settlement in the Hogan case with Richard Belzer, but the rumor mill is saying that the settlement was in the $250,000 range. The original case stemmed from an incident on Belzer's now defunct talk show called hot properties in 1985. When he had Hogan and Mr. T on his guests, Belzer tried to do some comedy at their expense, then asked Hogan to demonstrate a hold on him. 
Hogan did a front face lock and squeezed too hard and Belzer collapsed to the floor, hitting head first and getting a nine stitch head wound and a concussion. Although Belzer was grinning ear to ear in TV post settlement shots. One newspaper described his lawyer's reaction as being one of a kid who had been told the day before Christmas that he wasn't going to get any presents. Uh, as a reminder, Belzer was actually suing Hulk for 5 million bucks. And the case was due to be heard of the New York Supreme court. But of course, Belzer and Hogan reached some sort of out of court settlement for an undisclosed amount. Belzer's lawyers say well, they were entitled to 50% instead of the regular 33% due to the angst, aggravation and lifeblood they had spent on the case. Um, what do you remember about this? Because this is definitely a hot topic behind the scenes in wrestling, but we haven't talked about it on the show as far as I know ever. Yeah, and I wasn't there when it happened, and this court case, it really wasn't that hot of a topic uh, for us other than a nuisance that it was going to take place and that you know you had to go in and defend yourself. The situation was before WrestleMania 1 with Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, and again, uh, Richard Belzer's comedian. That's what he does. He makes fun of shit, and the reaction you'd been trained your entire life in the wrestling business. My God, you know, protect the business, protect the business. And if somebody makes fun of the business, you make them a believer by stretching them somehow. And I don't think, especially knowing Hulk, I don't think for even one second that Hulk was trying to put him out or anything else other than just let him feel it a little bit, let him feel that, Hey, can you imagine what it would be like to be put in a front face lock by a guy like Hulk Hogan. And the fact that Belzer has no neck muscles or whatever, and he was put out, which by the way is, is very easy. If you, man, <laughs> you hit it in the right spot, you know, you can be put out in a split second. And that's what happened. It was a accident, but, um, at the time, I don't think Hulk realized just how serious it was, you know, like right when it happened, didn't even realize Belzer had gone out and thought he was still goofing on it. So this lawsuit and everything was it's worth mentioning when Hulk, you know, wants to release the hold, he just simply lets go. Right. And Belzer collapses. So Hogan may not have known now I don't buy for a minute that he wasn't trying to let him feel it. Uh, but certainly when he lets him go, I mean, he falls like a ton of bricks right on his fucking face. So I don't think Hogan would have intentionally dropped the guy on his face, not because Hogan's a nice guy, but because Hogan would have known, uh, I'm going to get sued for that shit, brother. Yeah. But Hulk, but Hulk also wouldn't want to hurt the guy. He really wouldn't have. And I just think it was an unfortunate accident that happened and got blown out of proportion, but they, they quickly went, I don't remember this thing being blown out other than a few media sources that made noise about it. And it was quickly settled and it was settled out of court. And I have you know no idea what that was for, but it was pretty quick and painless. Do you think Vince would have contributed? He would have tried to back Hulk up on this and he would have kicked in some. I don't know. I, I don't he know. He probably, probably did probably helped him out some on it. And I don't know if, if I remember correctly, I think he tried to sue the WWF too, but, um, yeah, it just was one of those weird deals that 
go for, go for the people with the most money. And Hulk was Hulk was Hulk Hogan. Drag his name through the mud and and get what you can out of it. It's, and it it quickly got squashed. Shows you how you know shit shady the attorneys were too when they have a contract with Belzer saying we're going to accept a third, but then when it's maybe less money than they were hoping for. They're like, oh, we've spent too much time on it to take it for that. You've got to pay us 50%. Well, ultimately, Belzer would win that, and uh, the attorney would side, uh, or the uh, judge would side with him, saying, hey, he's got a signed deal, so you get a third, no matter how sterling the representation may have been. By the way, this attorney is Norman Roy Grutman. Meltzer would say he was the attorney for the Richard Belzer case against Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, and he's planning on writing a book about the inner workings of the WWF Claiming it's similar to the empire that Tammy and Jim Baker have built. Uh, Grutman had represented Jerry Falwell in a suit against the Bakers previously. McMahon was able to seal the court file in the case. Although the New York post reported that Linda McMahon as part of the sealed court paper said the Titan wanted to maintain the illusion of a serious struggle in the ring. And she said that if Hogan was forced to testify under oath about how much money he earns about pro wrestling. The illusion would be destroyed. Were you guys at all nervous about this going public because it would have been revealed that it wasn't all quote unquote on the up and up. I mean, by this point, Vince has already told oh my God. Yeah. He's already told New New Jersey that it's sports entertainment. That doesn't feel like a real threat. No, that it's, it's not. That's just another, you know, lawyers can be the sleaziest uh, of the sleaze unless they're yours, of course. Um, but they're they're kind of right up there with wrestling quote journalists. Um, they're just you know a lot of them can be pretty sleazy. What about Michael Dawkins? Where do you fall on him? He's my man. Okay, so he's not a sleazeball. He's not a sleazeball. I disagree. Okay, let's keep. He's it. a sleazeball. <laughs> Fuck him. No, we love Dawkins. No, Mike. Mike's been very good to me. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, we both have framed sheets of paper in our house as a result. Damn right. By the way. Well, I'll tell you, we got to talk about it off air, but man, there was some hysterical clickbait this week about him in particular, uh, big boss man turns baby face at the taping on January 2nd in Birmingham. Jake Roberts stole the million dollar belt from Ted DiBiase and put it in the bag with his snake. Damn it. DiBiase tried to pay slick to have him get it for him. And slick told boss man to get the belt and boss man got the belt and it was supposed to be a present for DiBiase, but of course he gave it to Roberts and then does a number on DiBiase and slick. We've touched on this before in our big boss man episode, but briefly remind us boss man being such a, a long time heel character. Why the decision to move him baby face at this point, this would have been the first time he's been a baby face his entire run. Well, again, when you look at the, the baby face side of the roster, knowing that Hulk is going to be on his way out for the summer. We needed some help on the baby face side and big boss, man is a big, tough heel. They believed in him. The audience believed in him. And there was a bit of that audience that respected boss, man, big, tough son of a bitch. So it was, it was just time. And I think that it was a, a good move for Ray to do the baby face run at that time. Let's talk a little bit about Barry Windham. Uh, he's in as the widow maker. He no shows a few house shows around this era and he's gone shortly thereafter. What's up with that? Oh, bless his heart. I love Barry Wyndham because Barry is the kind of guy that 
first of all, you always know where you stand with him. He's a pretty straight up guy. He'll let you know when he's unhappy. Um, but then Barry would just walk. Uh, Barry wasn't always the most patient and Barry just felt like he was getting burnt out on the road and wasn't feeling like this was what he wanted to do at the time. And I think that Barry was a little, a little more comfortable, uh, down South with the NWA and, uh, the Jim Crockett folks at that time. So I just think that Barry wasn't ready to, to commit. So he went home. Did you have a conversation with him about him or, or does he just not show up one day and you just put two and two together? I knew that Barry was not real crazy about being back on the road. And at the time that road schedule was pretty hectic and it, it was a lot. So you could tell that once Barry was back, that he was feeling it out and just thought, you know what? I think I'd rather just be home and let's left. Get, let's talk about something major that happens. Titan sports signs, Mike Tyson. To referee Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage on the NBC special February 23rd versus going down at the Joe Lewis arena in Detroit. And the official announcement is made at a press conference on Thursday, January 25th, uh, Hogan and Gene Okerlund are appearing there and Okerlund reads a telegram just in from Tyson. He's training in Tokyo for a fight in a couple of weeks at the egg dome. And in the telegram, Tyson was quoted, uh, huh saying how he's not afraid of Hogan or Savage and Hogan made several hints to spread rumors for a forthcoming confrontation with Tyson. That of course is directly from the observer. He would also say no monetary figures have been speculated on as to the cost of landing Tyson, which is a tremendous coup for Titan. The biggest celebrity payoff Titan has done thus far was William, the refrigerator Perry, who worked about a Royal at WrestleMania two for 150 grand. A figure that was exaggerated as around three times that much in the press being that Tyson is in an entirely different financial league. Well above Perry, one would think the cost would be even higher. And since Titan chose to use or Titan chose to use Tyson on a free NBC special rather than WrestleMania, it opens up even more speculation while things are being kept mum about WrestleMania plans. I've got it a good authority that Tyson won't be part of the show still. The prospective gross revenue that a Hogan versus Tyson match worked or otherwise would generate an astronomical amount. So he doubles down on sort of talking about what that might look like, but my goodness, wouldn't that have been something? Was it ever even discussed? Sure. Uh, the, the prospect of actually having Hulk Hogan versus the baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson without a doubt is always going to be discussed. I don't, I don't care, you know, who's in, in what place you always talk about who's, who's the best and, and who would win in wrestler versus, versus boxer. And there probably were not two bigger stars in the galaxy than Hulk Hogan and Mike Tyson at the time. So yeah, it was, it was discussed. However, <laughs> dealing with Don King who was Mike's promoter and manager at the time that can always be a little, 
a little tricky in walking through landmines as well. But Mike always loved the business. Mike grew up watching wrestling, and he absolutely loved the business and had a lot of respect for it. So there was always, I think that there was always potential there to do something with Mike. But the reality of ever getting to that, what the hell do you do with it? You know, you can't beat Tyson, you can't beat Hulk. And it it was not a situation where both guys could look good. Using Mike's name and having Mike be a big part of something that we were doing, yeah, fuck yeah. And the biggest match on pay-per-view, the biggest draw on pay-per-view up until this point was Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan from WrestleMania Five. The return in prime time on NBC uh, for the main event to air on a you know live on a Friday night uh, to add Mike Tyson's name into that. Come on, you've got the three biggest names at that time on pay per view in one match. That was huge. That was Vince's goal all along was to get Mike involved somehow. And I don't think Mike was even available uh, for WrestleMania at the time. Well, we know, of course, all that's going to change when Buster Douglas puts that ass to sleep. But before we talk about that, I guess we should circle back from a pop culture standpoint. You know, maybe, I mean, certainly Sylvester Stallone is one of the biggest movie stars in the world, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but outside of Hollywood, the top like pop culture icons, I mean, Mike Tyson and Hulk Hogan, they got to be near the top of that list. Are they not? They were at the top of that list. Well, second only to me and Muhammad Ali. I mean, really, that would make them three and four. It's just really pretty crazy when you think about, you know, what was possible and what could have been, but obviously not everybody wants to, I mean, I guess if you wanted to talk about athletes and you included that, maybe Bo Jackson would be in the list, but when it came to quote unquote combat sports, it fell off a huge cliff after these two, but to your point, neither guy could lose. I mean, on some level, if Tyson does a worked match, he's essentially ruined in wrestling and Hogan can't do a shoot match with Tyson because, well, he'll be ruined probably in a, in, in a minute or so. There's really no way to pull it off, but you know, we know 10 years later, you guys would find a way to do something in a big way with him. And it turned it all around. How many times in between, you know, 1998 and here did Mike Tyson come up? Believe it or not, not a whole lot because after Mike lost to Buster Douglas and he got in trouble and and then he went to prison. So there's really no chance for him to even talk about it, I guess, until what? 95. Yeah. And it just didn't, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't in the cards. So, you know, during this time it was it was a good time. And, you know, I think that a lot of people felt that they were feeding Mike Tyson and they're just giving him, uh, you know, chump opponents to beat hence Buster Douglas. And they didn't expect Buster to knock his ass out. So Mike, I don't think at that point had gone past the second or third round very much. And people, people just thought that, okay, you know, um, it's, it's a given, you know, you're going to watch a Mike Tyson. I had parties at my fucking house 
with Mike Tyson fights that I walked outside where I was grilling and I walked back in and the damn fight was over. He used to piss me off. Uh, but I still bought. I still would come back and, and buy the damn fights. So go and, figure. You know, Meltzer's even freestyling what it could have looked like money-wise. He says, oh. um, it's the kind of match that could do a 10 to 15% buy rate at $40 a pop, which by the spring of 91, the pay-per-view universe is at 20 million. And you'd be talking about a pay-per-view gate of 80 million plus the live gate, which would be five to 10 million and at least double that on closed circuit. So in theory, this could be an excess of a hundred million dollar situation, which had never happened. But of course we know it doesn't happen, but what could have been man, as we know, February 11th, it all changed. One of the biggest upsets in the history of sports, Buster Douglas knocks out Mike Tyson to win the world title. And he would wind up taking Mike's spot in this referee spot for Hogan Savage on NBC and, uh, Tyson wouldn't show up until January of 98, but it worked out because, uh, that Royal rumble, uh, was uh, a gangbuster show and we were off to the races for WrestleMania 14. So prolong what we're doing eight years and, and we'll get there. I am curious though. The report says that fridge got 150 for his WrestleMania two appearance. I know you weren't there. I know you don't know the number. Was Mike more, um, reasonable on price because he wasn't wrestling because he was a fan or do you think it was still a fairly substantial outlay? You know, I, I don't think it was at all. I think it was one of those situations of this is NBC. This is primetime exposure. Obviously there was a payday involved. Sure. But I remember being very reasonable was the, the term used for what you think you would pay for Mike Tyson. Um, because Mike wanted to do it. Don King wanted to do it. It was great exposure. And from the standpoint of people looking at Mike, like I said, you know, he was, he was getting set up fights. They were thinking, well, this can, this can help Mike out. This gets some exposure, gets people remembering that he's a badass. Um, and what we wanted to do with the damn thing. I, I will never forget, um, the night it happened, because I was in Houston, and I, I had been, the whole team, um, uh, myself, Kevin Dunn, Kevin Quinn, Larry Rosen, those are the guys that put the syndication together. And we had gotten everything out early, because we had to get it out early this one week, um, because of the main event coming up. And I came home, I was at my mom and dad's house and I walked in and my mom says, um, Vince has called and this guy, Kevin keeps calling and I, I get in and I called Kevin first and Kevin says, yep, Tyson lost. I said, what? What do you mean Tyson lost? Cause it wasn't that big of a fight. People weren't really paying attention to it. I had almost forgot that. That Tyson was fighting that night because we had done our voiceovers ahead of time talking about another successful victory for Mike Tyson in Tokyo last night type shit. And I said, what do you mean he fucking lost? Because, yeah, he fucking lost, man. I said, well, fuck. We did voiceovers. We, we are promoting 
on shows that we're going out to air the next weekend, we're, we're promoting this shit. And, um, so he goes, yeah. And he was in Baltimore at home and I was like, okay, I'll call you back. I'll let you know. And I called Vince and Vince answered the phone and says, hold on. I'm on the other, uh, other line with Don King in Tokyo and put me on hold, came back. I don't know, 20, 30 minutes later and says, okay, um, we need to fix the shows. Uh, we need to pull back everything that's gone out, fix the shows, get new voiceovers, all hands on deck. Where are you? I'm like, I'm in Houston. He goes, all right. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow at the studio. <laughs> I said, Vince, everybody's all over. They're, they, they all left, you know, for the weekend. We, we got everything done early. And he says, all right, I'll see you all tomorrow <laughs> at the studio. And I called Continental Airlines, got on a plane, and everybody else did the same thing. And everybody was there on, on Sunday. We did voiceovers. And we didn't we didn't have anything yet. So we all met and said, okay, what are we going to do? Which we didn't know other than Mike wasn't coming. Mike was not. We were like, we tried to convince him. It's, it's like, okay, you know, this just happened. I understand, you know, they're emotional, they're they're not thinking straight, but but tomorrow cooler heads will prevail. And now it was definite. Mike's not showing up. And we were like, God damn, you know, it's an opportunity to, to be in front of people and, and t- you know, vow revenge, whatever the hell you want to do. Um, but this is a great forum and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. At that point, we started uh, trying to, to get a hold of Buster Douglas's people. Well, they were on a plane from Tokyo, heading back to Buffalo, New York. So Basil DeVito got on a plane to Buffalo, New York, met them coming off the plane and said, Hey, Mike Tyson was scheduled to be the guest referee in a match with uh, macho man, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan on NBC. Well, Tyson doesn't want to do it. And frankly, we want the guy that knocked Mike Tyson's ass out. That intrigued them. And they went into a room, discussed it. Basil came out. I got him. And we proceeded with Buster Douglas. You know, the man that the man that knocked out the baddest man on the planet will be there to referee, you know, the mega powers live on NBC. And it, it all happened that quickly and that fast. And I, I hated Mike Tyson for a long time after <laughs> I was pissed. Um, probably, but, save, probably save some money with Buster Douglas. Uh, yeah, I guess. But Buster was looking at it the same thing. It was an opportunity to get Buster uh, out in front of a, a worldwide audience. You know, because nobody knew who the hell Buster Douglas was. Right. And this gave him an opportunity. You know, we he got more promotion. I dare say Buster Douglas got more promotion off of the main event than he did with the fight with Tyson. Oh, shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah. No, I'm serious. No. 
Did you ever? Okay, who do you who do you fucking lose the title to and win? I'm not arguing any of that. Exactly. The, no, the answer is Michael Moore, but but I'm just saying that's that's a footnote. But beating Tyson was I shook up the world type shit. Yes, he did, but but he got more exposure with that on our main event. I'm, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and by the way, he was absolutely fucking phenomenal to work with. I've got a picture. I remember, uh, when he got there, cause Randy Savage wanted him to knock him out. Randy wanted to wanted Buster to hit him with his best shot and knock him out. And he said, if you don't hit me, I'm going to be back in your face and you'll have no choice. So when you watch it, uh, Buster whiffed on the first one. Savage got back up in his face and pie faced him. And he said, I said, hit me. And he came with the second one. But Randy was, Randy was prepared to have his jaw broken. Wanted to have his jaw broken. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. Mike Tyson broke my jaw. I got knocked out. If you're going to get knocked out, get knocked out by Mike Tyson or the guy that knocked out Mike Tyson. And that was how Randy looked at it. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a macho broken jaw. Uh-huh. So when we got there, I remember uh Pat Patterson. <laughs> he says, make a fist. And Buster made a fist and, and we ran into it. And it was like running into a brick wall. It was like it was just concrete. It was huge and it was concrete. It was uh, it was unbelievable. He was afraid. He was afraid to hit Randy. He was afraid he'd, he'd hurt him bad, just bare knuckle. Let's but talk. Randy about, lived. Let's talk about uh, Royal Rumble 1990. We're finally here. Paul Roma is going to defeat the Brooklyn Brawler in six minutes and 13 seconds with a power slam. It's uh, a preliminary match, a dark match, if you will. I believe the uh, show was advertised locally starting at 345. So this is about 15 minutes before the actual show starts. Paul Roma is not a guy that we've spent a lot of time talking about. Of course, Brooklyn Brawler, the journeyman here with the WWF, the perennial enhancement talent. I want to ask questions about both of these guys. We'll start with Roma first. I think uh, they've had a little bit of a resurgence in the last five or five years or so online, at least power and glory feels like it's really Paul Roma's calling card in the WWF. Why don't you think Paul Roma had a, a longer, more sustainable singles run in the WWF? I just think that some guys are destined to be tag team guys. And some guys are destined to be single guys. Paul Roma was better in a tag team. Um, that's about the best way I can explain it. When you, you try to look at it over time, you see that when Paul was put in a position in a, in a singles, it just, he didn't connect. However, working off of someone, whether it be Jim powers or it be Hercules, I think that there was a gel there and some guys are just better in a tag team. I think Paul was better in a tag team. Let's talk a little bit about his, his two tag team runs that he had with you guys, the young stallions, his Tim and Jim powers. And then power and glory in like 90, 91 before he wraps things up. And then he would pop back up for WCW, uh, I guess at 93 or so, but 87, 89, it's young stallions time and 90, 91 power and glory. Which did you prefer and why? 
See, I always preferred uh, the Young Stallions yeah. with Jim Powers because that, to me, was the original, and it was two young guys that complemented each other. And both of them, say, you say the same thing about Jim Powers that I did about Paul Roma. I think they both needed someone else to work off of. And I enjoyed them as a team. It's just, just not a whole lot of personality there beyond what they were. And putting uh, Roma with Hercules, I just think, kind of helped them both as well. It was different, just what's your preference. But to me, I like the original. Let's talk about Brooklyn Brawler. He's had such a long career at the WWE. Of course, it came to an end a few years ago. A lot of people were shocked when it finally did. It felt like he was going to be a lifer there. What was the, the key to his uh, longevity within the company? I think that Brawler, you know, he's one of those guys that when you look back at his early career in the industry, in the, you know, mid-80s, early 80s, mid-80s, when WWF was touring, they always seemed to have guys, you know, it was, it was all new, different shit taking place. And some of the guys weren't as reliable as others. So on any given night, in any given town, any given country or state in the world where WWF had an event, chances are someone, at least one, person on that card wouldn't make the event. Steve Lombardi, uh, just wanted to be booked. He just was like, you know, book me. And they, they told him to go look, we're full. Um, but they made a deal with him. And I said, Steve, if you know, you show up and we use you, then we'll pay you. And I'll tell you what, um, we're not going to pay your trans up front, but you know the lay of the land. If you show up and you're there and we use you, we'll pay your trans there. Lombardi made a living working almost, you know, nonstop. There were times that he he would pay his way there and everybody would show up and they wouldn't use him and he didn't get paid. But for the most part, Steve worked almost every night somewhere, you know, for whatever he, he was there. He was a body, someone they could trust and he showed up and if they used him, they paid his trans and of course paid him. So that's one of the reasons Steve made himself available and worked his ass off, um, busted his ass above and beyond was, you know, first one there, last one to leave. And then after his career in the ring was over, Steve, helped out backstage, making sure that the promos were done and making sure that helping out the pre-tape people running and getting talent and doing different things. So he adapted and was a chameleon that could adapt to whatever the situation was. Let's talk about our opening match here on the show. I guess first we should mention, I absolutely love the old school look and feel the open of this pay-per-view, the graphics, the traditional rumble letters where it looks like they're you know, chiseled out of stone. And then the way as Vince is sort of running down all the superstars who are in the Royal rumble match and what the lineup is, they have like these video squares that dance across the screen, very old school. Uh, but it got me in the mood today. It was really, really good stuff. I love the open. I mean, it's a little less energetic than what we've seen Vince and other, like that one SummerSlam was just way over the top. Awesome. 
but still super fun intro here. You watched it this week for the first time in a long time, had to hit you right in the feels to see the old school open. I loved it. I loved the music. I loved the energy of it. I loved, <laughs> I loved Aaron Vince, you know, with his, his Royal rumble over the topness of the whole thing. Um, it's one of those, you and I talked about it right before we, we started to, to do this, where we said, you know, God, should this be a watch along? And I said, no, I think it's, it's one of those that we should encourage everyone to go back and watch. And I think that doing a watch along probably might've taken away the feel of the show because so much of it is you feel it when you watch it in our we, we might've taken away from it is all I'm saying. So, um, the show was great. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. It was absolutely tremendous. And just, you know, you, you watch the opening and you hear from different people. It was a word fun. I, uh, I was really excited to see the, uh, the Rougeau's come into the ring first because I absolutely love their theme song. I think it's one of the best from the era. Uh, hypothetically, what does it go like? We're all American boys, all American boys. Uh, boy, you're terrible on that. You, uh, go listen to it if you're listening. Ha! Well, shit, I could do Steven Tyler though. Bam, boom. No, you just no, like that, no, or you know, uh, she was a fast machine. She kept the motor clean. She was the best damn woman that I ever seen. That was terrible. Uh, just made, that was fucking great. Jacques Rougeau on his way to the ring. May he may have one of the most punchable faces in the history of faces on the way to the ring here. Does he not? Who's that? Jacques Rougeau. Jacques has a punchable face. I yes. mean, my gosh, I never really understood why the guy had heat. And then I just fucking looked at him walking to the ring here. And I'm like, okay, I get it now. Like I want to hit that guy. Uh, yeah. And of course, uh, they're seconded by the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. And then I can't believe it, but man, the bushwhackers got a hero's welcome. The crowd went nuts. Unfortunately, they gave them 13 minutes and 34 seconds. Butch would wind up pinning Jacques. It's a quarter star. Meltzer would say it's mainly clowning, stalling and poorly timed action. A lot of rest holds and no holds as well. Bad match to be sure, but the crowd gets into the bushwhackers and it was better than the previous matches I've seen. And I feel like the bushwhackers are sort of famous for, well, two things, I guess, uh, three, maybe the silly walk on the way to the ring, licking children on the way to the ring. And unbelievably there is a clip that has gone viral in the last few years where one of them is, uh, giving a little bit of the old, how's your father to the Rougeau's on a body slam. I know, you know what I'm talking about. What, uh, what do you remember about this match in particular? what do you think watching it back for the first time in a long time? I enjoyed the hell out of it and probably, and this goes for all the matches on this show was the crowd response and the audience was so into this. It was exciting. It was fun. This wasn't meant to be Carl Gotch versus Luthez. This was an entertaining match delivered 100%. I enjoyed the shit out of it. And I forgot how much fun a bushwhacker match could be, especially when you, when I just recently 
watched a Bushwhacker versus the Fantastics barbed wire match where these guys were all blood and guts and gore. And then you watch this and go, Jesus, this was fun. So, uh, yeah, fuck Dave Meltzer. Well, I didn't like the match. It was too long. It would have been better if it was shorter, but I, both acts were way, way over. Uh, but every time I see him, I think about that WrestleMania five moment where, uh, one of the bushwhackers gives a little high five action there. Uh, next up, we've got the genius. And of course he's doing, uh, his rhyming and his poetry and his big performance to get the heat. And here comes a white, hot Brutus beefcake. The crowd is so far into this. It's really hard for me to even co-sign here, but both of these personalities are so well-defined and well-established to the audience that they're into it. Uh, Meltzer would say genius mainly stalled and did his gay act for the first three minutes. And then they did a few comedy spots and low blow spots on genius to get over the gay thing more. Finally, they go to the finish after doing almost nothing for nine minutes. Beefcake puts on the sleeper. The ref takes a big bump outside the ring and is dead for a few minutes. Eventually, as you may imagine, uh, Mr. Perfect's going to be here. It's going to be a, a, a disqualification gets one star in the observer, but we're set up for beefcake and perfect at WrestleMania. We should mention at this point, genius has essentially been the second for Mr. Perfect. Perfect is one of the, if not the top heel in the promotion at this point where he's undefeated. And I think fans are clamoring for him to do something with Hogan. We know of course that perfect doesn't lose his perfect streak to Hogan. He loses it to Brutus beefcake. But back to this match, what'd you think? This is, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Most would write fans were actually climbing the guardrails to get at the heels. The last two minutes were good, but the first nine were awful. By the way, when they do run-ins on these shows, they set up cameramen in the aisle to shoot the run-in. And most of the fans, when they saw the cameraman go to the aisle, started watching the aisle for the run-in and therefore they're not watching what's going on in the ring. You guys would eventually stop doing that. Uh, and eventually, you know, the hard cam will just be positioned differently. Chat me up though, watching this one back for the first time in a long time. Well, again, it was a terrific story. And you look at those two characters that were so clearly defined with the genius and the poet laureate and being taking care of Mr. Perfect. It, it was good. God, just Watching again, watching the audience, the audience to me was such a big part of this show because they knew everybody and they reacted to everything. So you forget and genius sold out with Hulk Hogan on top and the genius was one hell of a heel that people wanted to see the genius get his ass kicked and Lanny would walk out the very next week, recite a poem and have all of his heat right back. So you could do anything you wanted to the genius. As soon as he came back the next week and opened up his mouth with a poem, boom, instant heat. And he was ready to go all over again, getting beaten. You could beat him every night. Didn't matter. Next up, we've got Greg, the hammer Valentine taking on Ronnie Garvin. They've been feuding. Uh, since the match way back December 30th, 1988, Madison square garden, Valentine would win that by grabbing the tights for leverage. Then on April 22nd, 1989 on superstars, Garvin would defeat Valentine. And then the following edition of superstars, they both face each other in a retirement match 
where the loser could no longer wrestle for the WWF. Valentine wins the match, sending Garvin into retirement and in retirement, Garvin would take up other positions, including a referee, but he'd be suspended after disqualifying Valentine in a match against Snuka. And later he got a ring announcer job, SummerSlam 89, and he used this job to berate and belittle his uh, rival, Greg Valentine. Of course, Greg is now so irate that he demands a rematch. He wants Garvin to be reinstated as a wrestler. And now we're here to this match. So a really long build here. And even though, you know, I've shared my opinions about this feud in the past, a lot of our listeners really, really dug this. I mean, I got tweets, you know, even as we're recording this saying the first match I ever saw was Garvin versus Valentine. The show got me into wrestling in the first place. Can't wait to hear the breakdown on Pritchard show. That's from Scooby. Yeah, thank, thank uh, Scooby. It's Scooby snacks, 23 uh, on Twitter. And that when we were watching this and, and I had, you know, heard, you know, uh, anticipate and heard Melchers. Oh, this was boring. This was terrible. This match was rock solid, had a great story. They beat the shit out of each other with the, here's my only critique on this match was they went to the pin too many times and it became anticlimactic. If you, if you did it two, maybe three times, have each guy do it once and then maybe a third time by one or the other, you would have got it. But Jesus Christ, it went for pins like five, six times at least in this match. And that took me out of it a little bit because it was a submission match. And the idea was they both had their leg locks and different things and they built to getting the shin guards off. I enjoyed the shit out of it because I just look at Greg and I look at Ronnie and I know how tough both those fuckers are. And Ronnie Garvin, they used to talk about his nipples would get hard when you would chop him and beat the shit out of him. The more you hit him, the more he'd get excited. And these were two tough bastards beating the shit out of each other. I thought it was a fun match. 16 minutes, 52 seconds. It's a submission match. And Meltzer, not a big fan, as you said, he says, actually, they should have called it a sudden death match rather than an I quit match because the minute the thing started, the crowd, which was really up for the prior two matches, just died on the spot. It had nothing to do with the match. The fans were just not into either personality. They worked a real slow pace, but it was stiff. And the closest thing to a good match on the undercard, this match must have come off better on pay-per-view than live because the live fans were not into it in the least. And it was really boring. That's not true. They were, even though the work itself was fine. Here's my question, I guess. Um, and you mentioned the pin, so it's a submission match. Why are they going for pins? Two stars is what he gives it. Uh, eventually Garvin's going to get the brace off of Valentine's uh, shin and hit him in the jaw with it, puts him on the scorpion and that's the finish. But I bring this up because. I do think the difference between this match and the prior two, while the actual bell to bell work, you know, the actual wrestling, the physicality is better. Beefcake and genius are much more well-established to this crowd. And I think Bushwhackers and Rojo's are, and you argue that you think. Yeah, I can. Cause I think Valentine was more established than, than all of them. And with the exception, probably a beefcake. And the audience, I thought the audience was into it. It was a slower paced match than the other two. It was a lot more serious. Uh, it was a completely different style, but the audience popped in the right spots and the audience was into it. 
Let's talk a little bit about what's next here, because this is a, a pretty special segment and it's all about love and it's all it's about love here on the show, but there's not a lot of love for this guy. See, I hate Steven singer. You heard me. I hate Steven singer. There's this guy in Philly. You've been hearing about, if you've been to Philly, you may have even seen the billboards or heard him on the local radio. I hate Steven singer. What does this mean? Well, Steven singer is the most hated jeweler in America. But why? Well, because other jewelers just can't stand him because he's got the best Valentine's gift ever. And we're excited to tell you about it. Steven Singer and Something to Wrestle are bringing you the best Valentine's Day gift possible. Are you listening? Picture this. A real long stem American beauty rose lavishly and deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold. It lasts forever. You heard right. And they start at just 59 bucks. His beautiful Valentine's day red rose won't wilt or die. And it never needs water. This is the number one gift that women want something unique, something special and something that lasts forever. And they even come with your own personalized love note in Steven's signature gift box ship for free, starting at just 59 bucks. Go now to, I hate Steven singer.com and see what I'm talking about. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, this is a gift she'll cherish forever. That's I hate Steven Singer.com. And Bruce, this is like a no brainer, is it not? I mean, you just scratch that right off the list. 59 bucks and Valentine's Day is done. And you can let your loved one know just how much that I love you. Let's keep it moving here. Let's talk about the brother love segment. He's going to have Queen Sherry come out. And by the way, ton of heat here for you. Uh, interesting promo from Sherry. Eventually she brings out a common woman, a peasant, if you will, Sapphire, you do the big build up, And then when you put the mic in front of Sapphire's face for her to talk, you immediately just yank it back and you guys aren't giving her much chance to talk. Meltzer would write what transpired was something that a blind man can see, but at least there was a whole lot more entertaining than the stupid pose down. They did with the warrior and rude last year. Brother love wouldn't let Sapphire talk and they continued to insult her until she slapped Sherry. Now the slap is based on Sherry mocking. I think you first said, oh, there's a whole lot of dusty to go around. Cause he's so big around. And then she starts saying, oh, and you're fat too. Meltzer would say a lot of people miss the slap myself included since the cameramen were already set up for the savage run in. And most of the crowd was looking away from the ring and missed the slap. Of course, Savage did come in. Dusty followed. Savage jumped out of the ring on Dusty. Sapphire would jump on Randy's back. And eventually, Savage and Sherry leave after getting the better of things. Brother Love stayed, so Dusty held him. Sapphire slapped him, and then Dusty threw him out of the ring. And I thought this was excellent. He gave you a compliment. And he actually took a better bump going out than most of the wrestlers in the Rumble did. The stuff was uh, predictable, low class, and not the least bit creative but the crowd stayed with the act all the way. So that's like the most backhanded compliment Meltzer could possibly give, but I enjoyed the segment probably because I just knew you were in it. And I was such a fan of dusty and the, and savage in this era. What'd you think watching it back? This had to be like uh, a pretty cool thing to see. Normally I, I hate watching myself and, uh, normally I'll get to my segments and I'll fast forward and, I sat there and watched it and actually had a few people stop in my office and watch it as well with me while it, while it was on. So yeah, 
I enjoyed it. I mean, that's sounds weird when you're talking about yourself, but I just I remember Sherry and I would just play off of each other so easily. She was so much fun to work with, and I, I just had a big smile on my face thinking of her. And then Juanita, uh, Miss Sapphire, Sapphire was such a pro coming out, and I remember she used to. She used to be like, Mr. Bruce, what do you want? You know, what do you want out of me? You know, how do you want me to do it? And she was so concerned. I, what I remember watching it is Sapphire doesn't say a word until the right time. And we worked as much, and I'm, I'm trying to think of, of how much I, I worked with Sherry just back and forth, but I worked with Sapphire just as much on her facials and she pulled them off incredibly and just going back, it was going back in time and reliving how much fun that that character was and being with a couple of pros out there. And just, uh, I, I miss Sapphire. I miss Sherry a lot. How was the bump? Did you practice the bump? It's there to practice. Just take a bump. Well, I mean, you take a bump, you take a bump. I'm with you on that, but I mean, you wouldn't advise anybody else their first day in a wrestling ring, just go diving head first between the two ropes. I mean, you caught yourself and no, but that wasn't my first time in a ring. I'd taken bumps and shit. So yeah, no, that wasn't, you know, that I knew what the hell I was doing there. And plus being in the ring with dusty, um, that's like being a little kid and <laughs> being in, in the ring with the American dream, dusty roads, that shit. Just come on. Who wouldn't want to do that? How fired up was the crowd for this, by the way? I mean, I know that on the surface, it feels a little weird that Savage after being the world champ and figured in in such a big way for such a hot main event at WrestleMania five. Now we can sort of, it's revealed what he's doing at WrestleMania six here, essentially. And just based on the way dusty had been positioned so far on this run, it doesn't feel big time, but in hindsight, man, two of the most iconic players ever. How could it be anything other than great? Yeah, it was. And that intensity the Savage brought to it was for me, it's it's interesting because Randy and I and Sherry, uh, but Randy and I really relished the time that we got to spend with Dusty and the time that we got to be in the ring with Dusty and, and work with him. That whole program was so much fun, all of us traveling together, and, and it was it was just one of the best times of my life. But to WWF purists, it was, we were the stars. You know, I'd, I'd get that hammered in, you know, I was like, no, Randy, you're the star. Brother Love, you're the star. And, you know, Dusty's got to overcome that. And I'd be like, he's Dusty fucking Rhodes. Right. Um but at the same time, there was a huge segment of the audience that, that thought otherwise. And, and that was that was always interesting to me and very humbling as well. But fuck, come on. Get, we're working with Dusty any day, twice on Sunday. Same thing with Savage. If you're a big fan of this show, you got to go back and watch this segment. This has got to be one of your more memorable moments as Brother Love, is it not? Probably top five? Yes. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I would, other than you know, working with Hogan and doing stuff with Hulk Hogan and Pi I would say it would be Hogan Piper and, and Savage and Dusty. Great stuff. Go out of your way to check it out. 
Next up, we've got uh, a promo from Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That's just got to be heard to believe. So, uh, me and you are going to lay out and I'm going to play it for the audience here. Here we go. Anticipating the next big battle to take place here. The big boss man taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. We're going to try and get a few words with Hacksaw before he gets out to the ring. Now, the big boss man is truly one superstar who lives by his own law. You have to approach this mismatch a little bit differently than... I don't have to approach, approach, approach anything any differently. Hacksaw Jim Duggan does his things his own way. And boss man, remember, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. And it was just a matter of time before you crossed Hacksaw Jim Duggan's path. A man will face you eye to eye and stand toe to toe with you and give you 110%. Well, the big boss man has stated you are going to be serving hard time before this. I don't care what the big boss man says. I don't care what the big boss man thinks because he's not talking to some young punk down at the convenience store. He's talking to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and I'm coming after you, tough guy. On the way to the ring is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. It looks as though he'll be giving the big boss man a hard time. Uh, When did you guys do these, these interviews? Is this done... Live during the show, this feels like something you would have done earlier in the day or perhaps even the night before. No, I pre taped during the day. I don't know why, but him, him stumbling all over himself was hilarious to me. This is going to be one of boss man's, uh, last matches as a heel here. They're going to go 10 minutes and 24 seconds. Duggan gets the win by DQ Meltzer gave it negative two and a quarter stars. He says, I thought cruel, unusual punishment was banned by the Supreme court. The only debate is which constitutes a more flagrant case, Jim Duggan having to go 10 minutes or the rest of us having to watch him try. It was so sad with the exception of Andre, who was a crippled man who should have long since retired. Duggan is by far the worst guy in the WWF boss man has really dropped the weight for his new baby face role. He looked to me to be 270 to 280, which is considerably lighter than Duggan. And this match was even worse because they were trying, which made it that much sadder because the timing was worse than awful and everything was botched up from Duggan's in. He was so blown up that when Bossman went for a splash and Duggan moved, I thought Duggan wouldn't have the energy to move and Bossman would hit him and then they would have to pretend he missed because that was the script. After the worst collision I've ever seen, Slick threw Bossman the nightstick and he used it, which was called for the DQ. Duggan hit Slick with a two by four after the match and Bossman. Took a few good bumps, but it's been many months since I've seen something this bad. Negative two and a quarter. You watched it for the first time in a long time. Not Duggan's best match. What'd you think? It wasn't that bad for fuck's sake. It was, it was a match that was put before the Royal rumble. you break everybody down and just kind of get through it. But it was not that bad. It was fine. It was fine. Oh, what a ringing endorsement to buy this on pay-per-view so far. I really want to encourage you to watch the opening of this show. Just so you can get the old school. I really want you to watch, go out of your way to watch the brother love segment. But now up next is maybe my favorite thing on the show. I know this sounds silly, but the rapid fire promos of the guys one after another. You know, they used to do this all the time at the end of ECW TV and fans started to call it you know, the Pulp Fiction montage because they would play that old song. And then you would just go from one character to another. And they would do these backstage promos where the guys were trying to sell their matches, or their storylines or their angles or their character, whatever. And here, this is the most, um, 
one of the most cliche wrestling segments where everybody's full of energy and excited and screaming and shouting and pointing at the camera. It's everything that was great about wrestling as a kid. When I grew up, you saw it for the first time in a long time this week. You loved it too. What'd you think? I did. I, I truly loved it. And of course, to me, the, the two, well, I'm going to give it, ah, God damn, there were a few. I was, I was going to say the two big ones, of course, were warrior and Hulk where, Another one, when Warrior was on, uh, someone was walking by my office and stopped in amazement, and their jaw was hanging out as they watched that, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Um, But Warrior and Hogan, because they were obviously the stars and the story around it, but Jake the Snake was another one that you just kind of captivated you, brought you in. Everybody in there, yes, go back and watch the – Bam, quick promos right before the Royal Rumble told the story and made you want to watch because it told you that it was every man for himself and every man made that clear. Let's uh, without further ado, we're going to play these for you because I think they're just that great. Uh, enjoy. It's the Royal Rumble, baby. And we already know our number and it's right where we wanted to be, boys. That's right, Jimmy, and I hope the Warriors' number is close to mine because I don't want no one to lay a hand on it. I want to take care of you, Warrior. <laughs> Nobody is safe from the earthquake. Everybody's going out. Everybody. Nobody is safe from me. You're going to feel the earthquake. I guarantee it. Lady Luck's already on our side. You know, last year, we had to choose number one and number two, and we ended up... And that means we took a heck of a beating last year. I know how hard you can hit. And I know how hard you can hit. But this year, it's going to be a little bit different, because we know where our numbers are, and we've got an opportunity to beat up on everybody else. And that means 28 of the baddest dudes out there, all up for themselves. Well, just remember, we got us, too. Hey, wait a minute. It comes down to two men, me against you. You know, I might kick your I'll stick kick you in. I hope you beer belly sharecroppers have a big box of tissues because there's going to be a lot of wet eyes out there when you see your 29 spineless cockroaches that you call your heroes go down in defeat against me because it's every man for himself and I'm always a winner. Oh, yeah, Macho King Render Savage. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, you proved yourself today, Daddy. You did, baby. And now I'm going to prove myself. I don't care if you're in there when I get there. I don't care if I got to be there all day long. I'm going to be there until I <laughs> prove myself, baby. Because the Rumble going to see you get your dudes, Render Savage. Come in here, darling. Oh, today's the day. Today's the day. The Royal Rumble. You know something? On days like this, we get so excited. We've yeah. got to take it easy. The Royal Rumble's here. You know something? Earlier, we were about having to face each other. Well, we know by now that that's not going to happen. But there's 28 other guys we got to worry about. Everybody get ready because the Rockers are coming next. That's right. Don't matter who it is. Power's of pain. I hope we get our hands on you. But it doesn't matter. Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan, the Rockers are coming, and we're going to rock and roll, strut and stroll, and we're going to take care of business. That's right. Get ready, everybody. The Rockers are coming at you. Royal Rumble style, hot flying as ever. Yeah. 
The time is at hand. The legacy, the destiny, it will be fulfilled today because the mighty Hercules is ready to rumble. No friendships here today. So I'm sending out this warning and you better listen to me and listen to me real, real good. Friend or foe, I don't care who you are. I'm going to win this rumble roll today because I've got the strength and I've got the power and I'm ready for anything. Yeah. Take a look at this profile. Mm, well, take a look at this one now. Yeah, you like it, don't you? I know it. And untouched. And believe me, this afternoon, nobody had the Royal Rumble. 30 men. Nobody's gonna touch this beautiful face. Yes, I've got it all. I've got it all, and you know it. And I'm gonna prove it that not only I look good, but I am the best wrestler there is. The best looking one, and the fittest one of them all. I've got a lot of friends in the WWF, but once I hit the ring, friendship is over. I'm coming to fight, to win. I'm gonna hit it hard, and I don't care who it is. If I get in my way, I'm gonna do my best to throw him out. Tito Santana coming out a winner. Arriba! <sighs> woof, woof, the Royal Rumble. I know it's everybody for himself. But let me tell you something else, people. Back in Ireland, when we go fishing with them sharks, I know it's loaded around with everybody. Royal Rumble, woof, woof, woof. Well, you know, inquiring minds want to know who's the biggest and who's the baddest in the Royal Rumble. Well, my opinion is, at 457 pounds, 6 feet 9 inches tall, the man, the brother from Africa, he's the baddest, he's the best. If they refuse to understand that the power of the ultimate warrior has spread like a virus amongst the WWF, then let them continue to walk as normal as they seem. But if those 28 normal men want to have special attractions such as Royal Rumble, then you and I as the warriors, the most powerful force in the WWF, will continue to see it only as another challenge, only as another day of combat. 28 of those normal men stacked one on top of another can't come close to the feelings and the destinations from parts unknown. You realize, as I do, that the 29th man, you Hulk Hogan, Walk with the different force field around you. Walk on horizons that are close to where I've been. But no one in the Royal Rumble shall form a team. Every man shall fight for what he feels is in himself. And I, the ultimate warrior, will fulfill another destiny. Okay, Jeff. Man, what a promo. I love that skit. Do you not? The whole segment's great. That's what you call making money. Why was it so good? Why do we like it so much now? Well, I think it's a lost art and that was stuff, you know, nothing written for anybody. And that was guys going out and doing what they do, knowing their characters and being able to sell you on the event that was coming up and why it was important to them, which made it important to you. It was just super, super fun to see them all back to back like that. And 
Yeah, there were some snafus in there. I think at one point, uh, Hernandez says something like, uh, Hey, and if I get in my own way, I'm going to throw them out. And I, was like, I don't know why, but that tickled me, but we're not done by the way. There's some more superstars who had some things to say after we hear from, uh, Jesse Ventura and Tony Schiavone is actually oh, calling God. a pay-per-view, a very rare WWF sighting for Tony Schiavone on pay-per-view. We get the macho King. Here we go. Yeah. The Royal rumble. Yeah. In the King Randy Savage styling, yeah. And I realize that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, would like to get even, but it can't be possible because I'm concentrating on all the superstars in the World Wrestling Federation, which I am number one. And what a great place to prove that. In the Royal Rumble, royalty, the Macho King Randy Savage, is the one person that nobody should bet against because you'll all go broke. Yeah, I am the winner of the Royal Rumble. And I told everybody before it happened to watch the Macho King. Watch me, Hulk Hogan. Watch me, Andre the Giant, Roddy Piper, take the snake. And all of you, the World Wrestling Federation is one man that is royalty. And that is the Macho King Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah! <laughs> Mr. Fuji, very selective in picking number for my powers of pain. Because you don't know what Mr. Fuji is thinking. Because when I reach my powers of pain in Royal Rumble, Anything goes. <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me what the human mind can come up with. I mean, you think of the whole concept. The Royal Rumble this afternoon, you're going to take 30 men, and every two minutes, you're going to send somebody to that ring, a fresh man. So you're thinking to yourself, well, what number might be the best? Well, the last number would be the best. But that doesn't really mean anything, because there's still going to be a lot of hungry men out there. And hopefully, I'll be one of those hungry men. The man that wins this match is not going to be the man that is the best wrestler, the best athlete. It's going to be the man that will do anything. The man that will uh, take that extra step. Do just a little bit more than anybody else. Maybe sacrifice a little bit more than anybody else. Now me, that sounds just a lot like me. Yeah, man, Royal Rumble, baby. You got one man hitting that ring every two minutes. It's really a nasty affair. Bodies are going everywhere. Up there, down on this one, Throw your legs everywhere. Easy, Jackie. Don't get worked up. Mellow out. In this Royal Rumble, one-on-one, survival of the fittest. (laughs) But the pink and black attack is back. And we're ready to go the distance in the Royal Rumble this year. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Hokey, this is it, baby. The chance we've been waiting on. A chance for you to play all your hits, baby. You better believe it. The Honky Tonk Man's going to play all his hits. In fact, the Honky Tonk Man's going to play 29 of them. I hope I'm the first one to go out there because what the Honky Tonk Man's going to do is every two minutes, I'm going to play a new tune. In fact, I'm going to lay down some mean tunes. You know what I'm saying? The Honky Tonk Man is going to be the winner today of the Royal Rumble. The Honky Tonk Man will stand alone and serenade hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> Just like 
like I told each and every one of you Hulkamaniacs out there. I told you I'd be ready for the Rumble today, man. You know, I got here a little bit early. I seen a lot of the opponents walking up and down the hallways, and they all seem confident. They all seem prepared. But the one thing they don't realize is you got to expect the unexpected. you got to realize with Hulkamania running wild, with Hulkamania at its peak right now, the strongest it's ever been, no matter what type of shape, no matter how prepared you are for the Royal Rumble, the one thing you can't compensate is the power of the Pythons with all my Hulkamaniacs behind me. Each and every man for himself. No friends, no enemies. The single goal in the Royal Rumble is to prove what is the strongest force in the WWF. I don't care if it's Dino Bravo, the so-called strongest man in the world. I don't care if it's Hercules. I don't care if it's the Ultimate Warrior. I don't care if it's Mr. Perfect. One by one, I'm going to dig deep down inside, pull that reserve energy out from the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. And once I beat all other 29 opponents, I'm going to show the whole WWF, the whole world, that nobody is more powerful than Hulkamania when it's at its peak. And what you're going to do, WWF, when Hulkamania rumbles all over you? I'm fucking eight years old again. That was awesome. Yeah, I love it. I love the, uh, by the way, could Hulk Hogan have been wearing more tanning oil right there if he tried? He's not wearing tanning oil. He's what? just naturally glistening and he's tanned like a motherfucker. Yeah. My hand Savage Rover. They had the best tans. Talk to me about the way you guys put together this match. You know, we've talked a little bit about how Royal Rumble matches are put together. We know that, uh, Andre, the giant's going to be here. I mean, literally everybody's in here. I mean, even Robertson Piper have a little bit of a confrontation up front. I mean, all the big stars though, just a who's who in this one, but we know there's one spot in particular we're trying to build to talk to me about what you remember the way these were structured, who was the agent, how the guys knew what to do here and where and everywhere. The talent lineup is DiBiase, Coco, Marty Jannetty. Jake Roberts, Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, the warlord, Bret Hart, bad news. Brown, dusty Rhodes, Andre, the giant, red rooster, Axe, Haku, smash, Akeem, Jimmy Snuka, Dino Bravo, Canadian earthquake, Jim Neidhart, ultimate warrior, Rick Martell, Tito Santana, honky tonk man, Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, the barbarian, Rick rude, Hercules, and the top heel, Mr. Perfect. He drew number 30. He comes in last. Chat me up. How is this put together? You know, the idea is you're supposed to have a new entrant every two minutes. Of course, that's not always the case. And we sort of get, we get a nickname to Titan time. DiBiase sets a new longevity record here. He goes 44 minutes, 47 seconds, quite the performance by him. He was mad at Virgil for drawing number one, but I mean, he puts on quite the show for himself. What do you remember about this one? Uh, hats off to Pat Patterson. This was this was a lot of Pat doing it on his own at this time, and this was you know we all had our tweaks to it, just little additions. But man, hats off to Pat Patterson. Um, his brainchild, him putting it together, and making sure all the stories were told. But as you go through it, the things that stick out: a DiBiase lasting as long as he did was positively just a, a great job on Ted's part, but every, when Ted finally got eliminated, holy fuck, did the place erupt. 
because they followed it all the way through the the little things of you know when Randy Savage came in and and, and Jake the Snake and Roddy Piper working together and I think it was Savage and, and Perfect or whatever it was no it wasn't Savage and Perfect but it was the the build up all the way through uh, of the little nuanced spots and, and then it was all to build to finally and it wasn't backing up bumping into each other it was a very simple spot where everybody is finally eliminated and there's Hulk and warrior and all it was was simple fucking tackles where nobody moves and a few shoves and that's all you got but it was enough that nobody sold anything. You know, the, the little shit that sticks out when Warrior hits the ring. And I think it was Barry Darso, uh, Demolition Smash, is pounding on his back, and Warrior's not selling a thing, doesn't even know he's there. Um, just just little things like that, that that you watch as you go on. Um, absolutely fucking superb. Royal Rumble from start to finish, all the, all the way through, ending up with Hulk and Perfect at the end, where you're you're thinking, you know, and this was before the winner went on to WrestleMania. This was all about the Royal Rumble itself having that much prestige that winning that was like winning a championship, and it was a place where you could set things up for the future. And this set up Hulk and Warrior just perfectly. But again, there were so many beautiful spots, and and you and I were, like we said before, about doing a watch along. You need to watch this one without any interruption and just sink, let it sink in. Bret Hart, holy shit, Bret Hart coming out to an unbelievable pop. And then when you grab Bret, you watch Bret, he doesn't let him grab him, grab his arms all the way behind his back. He holds it. just the shit made sense. And it was good. And with, you know, very few exceptions, I thought it was a damn near perfect Royal Rumble. Let me ask, cause you said perfect Royal Rumble. Perfect's there at the end. He's the last one to be eliminated. He's never lost a match. Was perfect Hogan ever considered for WrestleMania? And, and if not, was perfect ever considered to win the Royal rumble. I mean, I know that, you know, Hogan must post pal. I get that. But the very first Royal rumble was Jim Duggan. Was he considered here? No. And this was all about trying to get to warrior and Hulk at mania, but the promotion leading up to it was all about Hulk and perfect. So you needed to transition that. And this was kind of in some ways, the blow off for Hulk and Kurt. That's weird that that's the blow off. I mean, you know, the first year it's, uh, it's Jim Duggan. The second year it's big John stud. The third year it's Hulk Hogan. It feels like it was quite a Delta to get to that point, but still Hogan must pose very iconic moment in this show too, uh, where uh, someone in the crowd has painted up a bed sheet that says Hulkamania will live forever. Hogan yeah. still has that bed sheet in his Hogan's beach shop in Florida. It's still displayed there, but it's really iconic, especially in this building because years later, the first mega pay-per-view for WCW is Flair Hogan. And it's in this same building and the, the, uh, sort of the mezzanine level, the way the lighting is, it's unmistakable for Orlando. And it's just weird that Orlando has been such a big part of Hulkamania for so long. And 
you guys couldn't have scripted that fan with the bed sheet any better. Could you? Sometimes the unscripted shit is the best. Three stars makes it beautiful. Three stars is what it gets. We should mention that, uh, warrior has the most eliminations. He's got six. Nobody else is even close to him in that regard. DiBiase has three and everybody else is a two. So he's got three times what almost everybody else has. Um, Warrior would throw out Santana at 47 minutes and six seconds. And then Shawn Michaels comes in. Hogan throws out Haku at 4804. Warrior dumps Michaels at 4807 and Martel at 4809. Meltzer would say, yes, Michaels, probably the most exciting worker in the Fed, worked a total of 15 seconds or so. This left the big thing Warrior versus Hogan. They traded no cell shoulder blocks, did a nice double clothesline spot, and then just laid there for 30 seconds, and that was it. Uh, of course, we know that eventually, uh, warrior goes out at 52 35. He's tangled up with barbarian and Rick rude Hogan goes to clothesline the two heels, but it's somehow warrior who goes over. And at that point he would say the crowd died down because they knew there would be no more Hogan warrior. Uh, but still a big reaction when Mr. Perfect takes the big head first bump and then goes over the top and Hogan's your winner. Meltzer would say as a live show, I'd say the thing was better than average. The crowd enthusiasm was as good as you could expect. Given the longer than usual matches and short attention span of the fans, they were really into most of the stuff. Only Valentine Garvin and Doug and Bossman put them to sleep. Although the rumble, because it went almost an hour, had almost no actual wrestling and it did dragon spots. What they did with Hogan and warrior was just about perfect. Still have to say, I guess some of the Royal rumble booking, since they put the guys, the fans wanted to see in early so that the middle, which is where Hogan and warrior were, was slow. The finish wasn't nearly as anticlimactic as last year compared with the rumble last year. I'd say there was less actual good wrestling this year. However, last year, the crowd wasn't as up. So the rumble dragged a lot more and the finish was totally anticlimactic because no one cared about stud this year, keeping Hogan in until the end kept things from dying down. Even when the winner was obvious, uh, when it came time to uh, poll the readers of the observer, we got 48.8% thumbs up, 31.9% thumbs down, 18.8% thumbs in the middle. What say you thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle, two thumbs up. It's really kind of hard to argue. I guess it was, uh, especially for me. Cause I just grew up loving this show in particular. Go out of your way to watch this one. The rumble match is great fun. All those promos are great. The brother love segment right in the middle is great. Uh, and you know, the reactions to some of these performers that, you know, we sort of just dismiss in hindsight, man, were just phenomenal. It just shows you how over the machine was with the fans at that point. I mean, for beefcake and genius and bushwhackers, just crazy reactions next week, though, we're getting to the show that you thought we were covering this week, the 1995 Royal rumble. Before we get there, I can't recommend enough. Go check out WrestleMania six on our archives. It's available for you right now. And, uh, if you're not sure where to go, just check it out on YouTube. Very easy to find there. It's linked on all of our social accounts. You can also just go to youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Uh, and there you will find it. Um, the 95 Royal rumble though, really something. It's really something a lot of folks are looking forward to because this is really the first time you see Shawn Michaels become a made man as the top spot. He's going to win, even though the British bulldog thinks he's won, but only one foot for Shawn Michaels will touch. Of course, we know now you've got to have both feet touch. 
the actual card on this one underneath is Jeff Jarrett with the roadie taking on Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title. We've got The Undertaker taking on IRS. We've got Diesel and Bret Hart for the world title, and they get a lot of time. And then we've got a tag team match for the vacant tag titles. It's Bam Bam and Tataka taking on the one, two, three kid, Bob Holly. And the main event, man, this is an interesting crowd. Shawn Michaels, the British Bulldog, Duke Drose, Eli Blue, Jimmy Del Rey. I mean, there's some interesting names in this one, are there not? Yeah, there are. It was, you know, like I told you, there, there's so much more around that one that, that's got some incredible, incredibly good stories. I would have never imagined Dick Murdoch was in a Royal Rumble, but it Fucking happened. A. Royal Rumble 1995. Tune in next week. Uh, go watch it if you'd like. It went down on January 22nd, 1995, but you can mark your calendar. It's going to be Friday, January 24th. And speaking of calendars, man, I can't recommend I hate Steven singer.com enough. This Valentine's day, man, if you're a guy listening to this and you got to get something for the special person in your life, it doesn't get any better than this. You need something that she's going to remember. You need something that's going to last. You need something unique, something special, and you need something that's easy to do. Don't get any easier than 59 bucks with free shipping. And I hate Steven singer. Of course, we're talking about a gold rose. A real long stem American beauty rose. That's been deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold. It's going to last forever. It'll never will. It'll never die. It doesn't need water. It even comes with a personalized love note that you can do. It's got a signature gift box It's shipped for free. What are you doing? Make Valentine's day easy. Go to, I hate Steven singer.com and, uh, tune in next week where we talk about Royal rumble, 1995. And we should mention that a, a great friend of the show and somebody that you and I both respect as one of the all time underrated in ring performers is, uh, looking for a little bit of, uh, attention right now. Absolutely. Wild eyed boy, uh, Tracy smothers. Tracy's having the battle of his life right now and he needs your help. So help Tracy out in his fight with lymphoma cancer. Uh, there's an event taking place in Sevierville, Tennessee on Friday night. February the 7th. My brother Tom is going to be there. Tracy's going to be there. 100% of the proceeds of this show are going to Tracy to help him with his treatment for lymphoma. So it's a great event. You can get your tickets online over at KFW Wrestling Events on Facebook. Uh, go over there, check them out. Again, 100% of the proceeds go to Tracy's cancer care and tracy is a good friend of mine conrad's uh my brother tom is a big part of this show and um if you can help him out help him out and uh last certainly not least there was a, a moment in this show we're recording this on wednesday and conrad had gone into a uh, pretty detailed question and and i was i was blank because on my uh computer here uh, in front of me i got an alert and and we learned of the passing of rocky johnson and rocky johnson of course the father of the rock Dwayne johnson without a doubt one of the all-time greats in the business and uh, our condolences go out to the rock uh, to his mother to the entire johnson family and rocky johnson was a pioneer in this business and 
one of the greats that made it all happen. And, and little, little tiny fact here is, you know, I tell the story about being 10 years old and selling posters in the Sam Houston Coliseum. Well, the poster I was selling was a Rocky Johnson poster. Not that mean shit, but it's Rocky has a special place. Um, always great, great to me, great to my brother, Tom. And, um, Condolences go out to to Rocky Johnson's family and and um, rest in peace, Rock. Nothing else to say on that one. We usually try to end on a high note, but uh, we wanted to make sure that we conveyed that. And uh, I don't know, hard to believe that we lost him. It's one of those guys you just felt like was going to be around forever. You just hear the other day that he had just finished working on an autobiography, and uh, man, life comes at you pretty fast. Tell the people who are important to you that you love in your life, how important they are and how much you love them while you still have the chance. And uh, we'll see you next week right here for another something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.